Well, hello, my friends, and thank you for tuning in to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining us. And today's broadcast, we're going to look at point number two. And I'm going through 30 beliefs that I think every Christian should have. It's going to take us several weeks to get through this. Yesterday in the broadcast, we talked about belief number one, and that is the belief that God is real. Okay, the existence of God, the belief in God, confidence in God. The second belief that I think every believer should have is the belief in a personal relationship with God. I like dad jokes, and and uh, you know I, I was telling my congregation the other day, I think I'm going to give up telling bad dad jokes. And I, and I had a pause for a moment. I says, instead of telling bad dad jokes, now I'm going to transition to tell really bad granddad jokes, uh, since now I have a grandson. Uh, and so here's my really bad dad joke, okay? Why don't football players wear glasses? Why don't football players wear glasses? Because football is a contact sport. Da-da-da-da-da. Okay, that's bad. Uh, let, let's move on there to something more interesting and something more appropriate, right? Did you know that the National Aeronautics Space Administration, NASA, is dedicated primarily towards one mission, to explore the created universe. Uh, so they can go to the very ends of the Earth and they can go to the surrounding galaxies, but they cannot hope to exhaust the God of the Bible. You see, the God of the Bible cannot be contained by space. The psalmist said this, Great is our Lord, and abundant in power, His understanding is beyond measure. When we compare NASA to the Lord, the Lord has zero spatial limitations. While NASA is limited by finances and by technological advances, God is infinite. That is, he's endless. He's majestic. He's holy. Uh, He's everywhere. He's present at all places. He is all-knowing, and he's not constrained by time or space. In addition, God has complete knowledge of everything, at all times, in all places. Uh, We would say that he is omnipresent, he is all-knowing, he is at all places, he's omniscient, he is omnipresent. You see, these are incommunicable attributes of God. What does that mean? That means these are attributes that only God has that we do not possess. You know, I wish I could be omnipresent. You know, I wish I could be doing this broadcast, and I wish I could be home with my family, and I wish I could be like at three or four places at once, but I can't. You ever go to a party and and uh, or invited to a party, and and you say, "Man, I wish I could go, but I can't. I've got a conflict of schedule." And so you say to the person who invited you, "Man, I, I'm sorry, I can't go, but I, I tell you what, I won't be there in body, but I'll be there in spirit." Well, what in the world does that mean? That means you ain't going, right? Because where your body is, there your spirit is. But our God is omnipresent, he's all-knowing, and he is all-powerful, right? These are attributes that God has that we will never have. Oh, I wish I could know everything, and I wish that I had all power. I wish I never get tired. I wish my energy never ran low, uh, but it does. Listen, when we think about the power of God, this God who is omnipotent, this God who is all-knowing, This God who is omnipresent wants to have a relationship with us. David, the director of music, said this in Psalm 139. You have searched me, O Lord. You know me. You know when I sit down and you know when I rise up. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. 
you hem me in beside, behind and before, and you lay your hands upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to obtain. Where can I go from your spirit? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise to the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my innermost being, you knit me together while I was in my mother's womb. Oh, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All my days were ordained for me, and they were written in your book before one of them came to be. Oh, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is some of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sea. When I woke, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you, and they have evil intent. Your adversaries, they misuse your name. Do I hate those who hate you, Lord? and abhor those who are in rebellion against you. I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as my enemies. Well, search me, O God, and and know my heart, and test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offense, any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. That is powerful passage of Scripture reminds us that God is all-powerful, God is all-knowing, and we cannot escape this fact. You see, nobody can hide from the presence of the Lord. Jeremiah was very specific when he said, Who can hide in secret places so that I can't see them, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? You see, since the Lord is everywhere, He has no limitations. There's no place that anybody can go to hide from Him. We try to go into a room, right? And and God's presence is still in that room. And he takes up every part of that room. You see, God is present equally from A to Z in all places and in all areas. I want you to know that God is omnipresent, and that is referring to his nature, his trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the omnipresence of God. We're talking about the promise of a a unique presence of God. And because of this, we can have a relationship with him. In John 1.14, it says that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, as we think about this, God came and Jesus came in the form of a, of a servant, took on flesh. So the flesh aspect of Jesus took place 2,000 years ago, but Jesus didn't begin his existence 2,000 years ago. He always has existed. Now, when I think about how God works, versus how Satan works, we must ask ourselves, what influences my life most? My relationship with God or my relationship with the work of Satan? You see, God's work done God's way will never lack God's provision. But Satan is also about a work. As a matter of fact, let's spend just a moment talking about the work of Satan. When I think about the work of Satan, 
Satan's work is funded by Satan. You ever notice that the enemies of Christ never seem to run out of resources? The Apostle Paul talks about that, we're to do everything without complaining, without arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure and children of God without fault in this crooked and, and depraved generation in which you shine like the stars of the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not labor for nothing. So if you want to overcome the schemes of the devil, you must have that same attitude, doing everything without complaining, without arguing. Now that's a tall order, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I sometimes like to complain. I like to complain about the traffic. I like to complain about things not going my way. I like to complain sometimes that I don't feel well. Sometimes I complain because I get tired. You know that you're doing Satan's work when you complain. We're told to do everything without complaining, do everything without arguing. Now, there's something else that we see about Satan's work, uh, that there's a certain behavior that he has. And as we look at this behavior, religion will give us a formal or a moral foundation. And in 2019, there was a survey that was done, and we learned that 45% of Americans believe that God is necessary in order to have good morals, to have good values. In other words, if God is not present or there's no personal relationship with him, then we will see no need to have good morality. Religion influences our morals and, and the values that we have. However, in our country, there is a growing number of non-religious people. We've discovered way back in 1990, only 7% of Americans reported having no religion. 30 years later, in 2020, that percentage has climbed, it's actually quadrupled, to now we're at the point that it's 33, almost 34% of Americans say they have no religion at all. And so as we look at this, it's affecting our behavior. If you're wondering why we are are appearing to be in a a moral freefall, it's because we have turned our back on a personal relationship with Christ. John said this, 1 John 3.19, And this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come into the light for the fear of his deeds being exposed. Uh, So here we see that there's an attitude that we must avoid, the attitude of complaining. There's a behavior in which we live, and that is that we are followers of Christ. And with this personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we have become light. And when we're living in the light, we are exposing evil. And evil doesn't like the light. And so as a result of that, they are rejecting a relationship with God. Their behavior is driving them away from a relationship to God. Now, there's something else that we see as we we look at the pattern of how the enemy works. When you have a strong belief in God, you realize that circumstances are always in God's control. Now, let's look at an Old Testament example of that. In, in Daniel chapter 3, we have the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, it might seem like they were at the mercy of King Nebuchadnezzar. When Nebuchadnezzar didn't understand that he was under the omnipresent and omnipotent power of God, even when he threw these men into that burning furnace, when Nebuchadnezzar did that, uh, he thought that he was in control. He did not realize that God was in control. God shows up in Daniel chapter 3, verses 24 and 25, and, and let's read this text. It's a fascinating thing that happens. 
You know, understanding this will help us to grab a hold of the manifest presence of the Lord, and we can see it even discernible in a pagan king. Daniel chapter 3 says this, verse 24, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Didn't we throw three men into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see a fourth man, unbound, walking in the midst of that fire. And they were not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth was like the son of the gods. Now, when you think about this, where can you run from the presence of the Lord? You can't get away from his presence. God was involved in that event. God was in control of that circumstance. He allowed those men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to go into that fire. And then he went into that fire with them. Listen, God is involved in our circumstances. When you have a personal belief in Christ, You see him working, you see him involved in everything. You see, when I think about the foundation of my faith, the foundation of my faith is the right belief about God. So let's spend the next few minutes talking about what is involved in having this right belief about God. And I think there's three primary things that we'll have as the foundation of our faith when we have a right belief in God. Number one, we will understand that he is my provider. Now, now, I'm assuming that as you're listening to this broadcast, you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I want you to know that he's interested in changing your heart. He's even more interested in changing your heart than he is in changing your circumstances. Because if your heart is changed, you become almost immune to your circumstances. So God is my provider. David cried up to the Lord. and He says, I lift up mine eyes to the mountains. And where does my help come from? And then he answers his own question. He says, my help comes from the Lord. Now, as I think about that, God provides. He is the one who takes care of all of my needs. Paul said to the Colossian believers that he is before all things, and in him all things are held together. He is the maker of all creation. He is the sustainer of all creation. Now, God provides for us I think in three different ways. Number one, through our own hands. He gives us the ability to produce things. In Deuteronomy 8.18, it says, You must remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to get wealth, so that He may establish His covenant, which He swore to your fathers as it is today. Listen, God gives us a skill set. God gives us good health so that we can provide for our needs, but He is the one that is providing us the tools that we need. God sometimes provides for us by the hands of others, by using others. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he says, nevertheless, you do well having shared in my afflictions. Now we tend to stop at verse number 13, don't we? But verse 14, Paul says, you do well in sharing in my afflictions. In other words, when I have a need, sometimes God says, I've got somebody in mind that can help you out. I've got a brother or a sister in Christ, and they're going to come along, and they're going to provide for that need. They're going to be the funnel in which I pass my blessing on to you through somebody else. There's a third way that God provides for our needs. This is why I have such a strong belief in God, because He is my provider. Sometimes He does it through my own hands, and sometimes He does it through the hands of others, but sometimes He does it through miracles. That is by providing in ways that I didn't expect, ways that I could not have anticipated. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, it says, 
Now, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done to the churches in Macedonia. They were being tested by many troubles, and they were very poor, but they were also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed into rich generosity. We see here a miracle taking place. Throughout the Bible, I could give example after example of how God has come through miraculously. And here we see this church of the Macedonians. They had troubles and they had poverty, yet God abundantly filled them with joy. God filled them with generosity. I think throughout the Bible, miracle after miracle. I think about it in the Old Testament. When the Hebrew children were wandering around in the wilderness and they got hungry, God says, I'm going to give you some manna from heaven. A miracle. When they got tired of eating manna, God says, I tell you what, I'll give you some quail. When they needed something to drink, God gave them water. God miraculously intervened over and over and over again. You see, God is our provider. When you have that as a foundation of your belief in God, you understand that he indeed is my provider. There's something else that he does for us. He is not only our provider, but he's also our protector. Psalm 121 verses 3 and 4 says, He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Oh, I love the fact that the Lord watches over me when I'm awake and and he watches over me when I'm asleep. He is my protector. And how does God protect us? Well, I think one of the ways that he protects us is by having us armor up with the armor of God. When I think about the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, you are very familiar with this. Let me quickly go through it. You have the belt of truth. You know what the belt of truth does? It protects us from deception. You ever talk to somebody, you wonder why they could be so caught up in deception and how they don't see the truth. And, and in your mind, it is just as clear as the nose on your face, but this person doesn't get it. The reason they don't get it is because they don't have the belt of truth on. Secondly, God protects us with the breastplate of righteousness. You know what the breastplate of righteousness does? Oh, it protects us from sin. We are told, above all, guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. When you have that breastplate of righteousness on, the enemy may hurl those arrows at you, uh, those evil arrows at you that would kill you, but God protects you from sin with that breastplate of righteousness. God also protects us from worry with the shoes, the gospel of peace. You ever wonder why it's called the gospel of peace? Oh, because you can live at peace. You may be in battle, but you've got your shoes of the gospel on and you are no longer worrying because God protects you. You know, something interesting about shoes. When I was studying a little bit about ancient battles, they discovered that the armies that were the strongest and able to defeat the enemy the most spent a lot of time looking at their shoes. They didn't just put on an inexpensive uh, pair of sandals and go to battle. It's kind of like us trying to go out there and play in flip-flops. And uh, you can do certain things in flip-flops, but I tell you what, if I'm going to play some contact sport like football, man, I want to make sure I have some good footing under me, that I have some shoes that have some traction that are able to grip that surface. I'm not slip-sliding all over the place. And I'm able to have that peace that I have confidence in my feet. When I run, I'm not going to slip and I'm not going to fall. You see, the shoes of the gospel of peace protects us from worrying because we know our footing is sure. And then we have the shield of faith, and that protects us from doubt. 
You know, the enemy loves to put doubt in our minds, and, and he did it way back with Adam and Eve, and, and he does it by asking us questions. Did God really say? Ah, oh, that enemy, that old slewfoot, man, he is something else. He is a master of deception and doubt, and I want you to know that when you have that shield of faith up, you realize that my God is greater than any deception and any doubt that can come down the pike. My God can take care of me no matter what happens in and around me because I believe in him. I have that shield of faith. And then there's that helmet of salvation. Oh, I love the helmet of salvation. That protects us from death. You see, when you're born again, uh, you don't have to die twice. You may die a physical death, but you're going to live on forever because of the salvation that Jesus Christ has given to us, because of his death, his burial, his resurrection, I will live forever. Isn't that wonderful to know that you're never going to die spiritually? You're going to live forever because of that helmet of salvation. And then we have the sword of the Spirit. You know what that does? It protects us from evil, protects us from temptation. When the enemy was tempting Jesus, when Jesus was out in that wilderness and and he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, the enemy comes along and tempts him. And, And how did Jesus respond? Every single time, he would say, it is written. He would give back the word of God. You see, the sword of the Spirit, the word of God protects us from temptation, protects us from evil. That's why we must know the word. Realize that the word of God is quick and powerful, and it's sharper than a double-edged sword. Ah, the Word of God will sustain us in our times of trials, our times of temptation. And then we're told to pray continuously. Oh, that prayer protects us from fear. You know, whenever I feel overcome with fear, I pray. I remember one time I was sitting in a in a in a in a meeting with a bunch of chaplains, and and as I'm sitting in this meeting, all of a sudden says somebody says, Hey, hey, Chaplain Corbett, uh, why don't you come up here and give a message? And I was totally unprepared, and I was just a young man at that time, and and I had no idea what to do. And they called me up there and put me right on the stage, and I said, oh, good Lord, what am I going to do? And and so I got in behind that microphone, and I says, you know, I, 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 I'm not prepared uh, to, to give you a message, but let me begin with prayer. And so I just prayed. I said, Lord, I, I didn't expect to find myself in this situation, and Lord, I'm not even sure what you want me to say. But I know, Lord, that you will give me the words that will encourage these chaplains and encourage these men and women of God. And so, Lord, I pray that you protect me from fear and give me the words that I need to say. You know, uh, at the conclusion of that prayer, I I don't remember everything that I said, but God gave me the words to say. Uh, Maybe you're listening to me today and you're filled with fear. Listen, God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of a sound mind. When I think about a strong belief in God, I must understand that he is my protector. He is my provider. You know, whenever you get disappointed, and there's going to be times of disappointment. You know, that word disappointment means a feeling of dissatisfaction when my desires or my hopes or my expectations fail to come to pass. You know, we have disappointing times. You see, when God doesn't act the way we think that he should act or doesn't act at a time that we think he should act, I want you to know that his perfect holy will steps in and he'll be there. Well, there's one other thing I got to cover before we run out of time. God is my provider. God is my protector. And number three, God is my perpetual help. Psalm 121 says, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. 
The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over you, and you're coming in and you're going out. He will be over you both now and forevermore. Oh, I'm so happy to announce that God is able to take care of us continuously. And so today, as we close our time together, I want you to know that if you have a strong belief in God and a personal relationship with Him, you will realize that God is going to be that perpetual help in your time of need. It's going to change your attitude. It's going to change your behavior. It's going to change your circumstances. So Lord, help us to trust in you completely. Help us to realize that you are there with us and you're an ever-present help in our time of need. Forgive us for being self-sufficient. Help us to trust you because you have never abandoned us. You're never going to lead us. David reminded us that you are our provider, you are our protector, and you are an ever-present help in our time of need. Thank you, Lord, for watching over us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, maybe I can pray for you today. Would you send me a text, 252-267-2365? I'd love to pray for you. 252-267-2365. God bless you. I look forward to hearing from you. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.